If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 3, where you'll find the text for our sermon day printed in your bulletin. For the sake of those visiting with us, we are towards the end of a sermon series entitled, What Now? Moving Forward in a Time of Transition. And if you're visiting with us, you may or may not know that our pastor of 21 and a half years retired at the end of 2022, and so we're in the midst of a transition the life of the church. But God is not done with First ARP. God has not put our church on pause. He is using us, and He is calling us forward to follow after Him. We're reminded of the truths of His Word. Today's passage, we find the words of John the Baptist emphasizing our need for Jesus. Before I read this text, let me pray and ask for the Lord's blessing and His help. Gracious God, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe the truths found in your word. Lord, help us to set aside the things that distract us and the burdens that we bear. And would we find hope in you? Lord, open our eyes to see wondrous things in this your holy word. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness, that I said I am not the Christ, But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Every year in April, one of the most riveting sporting events happens and is televised on national TV. No, I'm not talking about the Masters. I'm talking about the NFL Draft. Now, I mean, what could be more exciting than somebody walking to a podium, reading a name, a position, and the school, the college, which they attended? 
I mean, it's so exciting, right? Well, back in 1976, former receiver Paul Salata started an event called Irrelevant Week. The whole idea was centered around the infamous nickname for the last person taken in the draft, Mr. Irrelevant. Salata himself announced the pick up until 2014 when his daughter took over because he was getting older. What you may not know is that every year in the summer, there's Irrelevant Week where Mr. Irrelevant and his family are invited to Newport Beach, California for the week. This includes a trip to Disneyland, a golf tournament, a regatta, a roast giving him advice. Barry would really like that, wouldn't he? And a ceremony giving him, I kid you not, the Lozman Trophy, a spiff off of the Heisman Trophy, and the person is depicted fumbling a football. Back in 2009, Ryan Suckup from the University of South Carolina was Mr. Irrelevant. And this past year, Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant, and he, incidentally, is a starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game later today. I find the whole concept of Mr. Irrelevant and Irrelevant Week just fascinating. And it strikes a chord with most people. No one wants to be irrelevant. And that's exactly what we see in this passage before us. Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry and he's gaining popularity. The disciples of John the Baptist do not like this. They're afraid that John's going to become Mr. Irrelevant. And so will they. But John's response is enlightening. And it helps us understand what we're to be about. You see, John puts the focus where it belongs. On Jesus. And we see in this passage the simple truth. We all need Jesus. In order for us to fully grasp this, we must first realize and know ourselves. So before we can see how much we need Jesus, we need to know ourselves. And that's exactly the example that John the Baptist sets here. We must remember that John the Baptist was a key figure in the Bible. He marks the transition from the Old Testament and the prophets to the New Testament in Jesus. He's the last, final prophet before Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. He paved the way for the Messiah. He had a major part to play. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. John's ministry was attractive. Matthew 3, 5 says that Jerusalem and all Judea were coming to him. Certainly that doesn't mean every single person, but crowds and crowds were coming to John. But Jesus enters stage left and everything changes. Have you ever heard of the term upstaging? That's a theatrical term, and it means that when support characters or actors are on the stage and the main character comes on the scenes, those supporting actors turn their back so as to force the audience to look to the main character. 
That's what we see here. Jesus upstages John. And John's disciples hate it. They bemoan in verse 26, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now we can't see the tone here, but by John's response, it is clear that they were not happy about this. There was bitterness and resentment in their voice. They didn't like that Jesus was taking center stage. It meant that John was losing popularity, and by default, they were losing popularity. Now, John could have thrown a grown-up temper tantrum about this and gotten all upset. He could have pouted, but that's not what he does. He embraces his part with joy. He acts with the utmost humility. Verse 21, verse 27 It says, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. His point is that God is the one who gives everything. He's the one who gives people their gifts and their part to play in the kingdom of God. John is resting in the sovereignty of God and the Lord's infinite wisdom. The Apostle Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, where he asks the question, what do you have that you did not receive? In other words, everything that you have and all that you are is a gift from God. Then in verses 28 and 29, he reminds his disciples of his role. He is not the Christ. In John chapter 1, two chapters earlier, priests and Levites send some folks to John and say, Who are you? Tell us so that we can report back. Are you the Christ? He says, No. Are you the prophet? No. Are you Elijah? No. And they say, Well, who are you? In verse 23 of chapter 1, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. John knew himself well. He knew that he was a sinner in need of a Savior, and he knew that he was not the Christ. It wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. He knew that he wasn't the center of the universe. Do you recognize that? Do you realize that you're not nearly as important as you might think you are? Now, most of us aren't going to stand up and say, Whoo, I think I'm the center of the universe. The world revolves around me. No, we can hide it better than that. But at times, we like the glory, the attention, and the praise of others. Teenagers, how much time do you spend on Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok? Now, these aren't in and of themselves bad. But it's so easy to fall into the trap of finding your worth and how many likes you got on a picture, how many DMs you received or who shared or commented on your video. Adults, we can make our lives about ourselves too. We can put our hope in our career success or our reputation or how good of a job we're doing as parents. We can fall into this trap in 
church work, doing ministry. We say we don't care about what other people think. But if no one recognizes or says thank you for what we did, there's a little part of us that's like, hmm, man, nobody saw that. This church would fall apart if I wasn't doing what I'm doing. Perhaps you heard the deacon service award announced today and suddenly thought, man, I kind of wish that was me. We can even do this as a church, as a whole. We could care more about the reputation of First ARP than about the reputation of God. We could fall in the trap of thinking, what is the community? What do visitors think about our music ministry or our service and outreach to the community or the quality of our preaching or the size of our youth group or on and on we could go? Certainly we want to do things with excellence unto the Lord. We have to be careful that it's not all about us. We aren't to make much of ourselves. We're to make much of God. So how do you make things all about you? Perhaps you fall into the trap of being more concerned with your image and your status than you are about God. John knew who he was. And by doing so, he showed true humility. Friends, we all fall in the trap of making things about us, wanting the glory, the credit. And we need to repent of that. But thankfully, there's a solution. And the solution we see from John's words and actions is to embrace Jesus. But before we can embrace him, we need to be absolutely clear about who he is. For you see, there's many today who like to make Jesus more palatable to fit their interests, and they end up making Jesus in their image. Some promote a very tolerant Jesus, one who embraces everyone just as they are, judges no one, and is not really concerned with sin. But Jesus himself said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Then he says later, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Others presented Jesus, who was a very good teacher, but nothing more and just kind of one way among many to God. But Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Still others love a therapeutic Jesus who makes them feel good about themselves or who exists to meet their needs, kind of like a cosmic Santa Claus. But Jesus demands that we surrender to his lordship. In verses 31 to 35 of this passage, we find a very clear picture of who Jesus really is. First is his origin and identity. In verse 31, John tells us, He who comes from above is above all. In those eight words, John tells us so much about Jesus. He tells us that he is from heaven, he's God, and he's Lord over all. That's saying a lot in just eight words. Paul tells us something similar in Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, where he says about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John goes on to tell us that Jesus is the perfect revealer of God's truth. He is God. He came from God the Father, and so he has firsthand eyewitness account of the glory and majesty of the eternal God. So his testimony is perfect and true and trustworthy. John says in verse 34 that Jesus utters the words of God. When Jesus was on earth, he healed many people, but his ministry wasn't particularly about healing. It was a ministry of preaching, of proclaiming the good news of the gospel, of repentance and faith in God. Finally, Jesus is loved by the Father and his authority over all. As verse 35 tells us, friends, Jesus was not a meek and mild, blonde hair, blue eyed man walking on water, just kind of go with the flow, almost like a hippie that sometimes is presented. No, he's the Lord of the universe, the God who created all, who reigns over all. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, as Matthew 28 19 says. This is the Jesus of the Bible. Do you recognize him? Friends, it's not enough simply to intellectually assent to these truths. Yeah, I I agree with what you're saying, John. That's cool. Let's get on with the show. No, we must embrace him. In verse 33, John says, Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. At that time, people wore what was called a signet ring, and it was their family ring, and they would use it to show that something was theirs. They would mark it, or if they were sending a letter, they would seal it. They'd take your ring, put it in wax, and put it on there, showing this belongs to me. This is what God calls us to, to set our seal to Jesus. In other words, we're to embrace him as Savior and Lord. We trust Him alone for salvation. We submit to His rule and reign, living as His disciples. Is anybody familiar with the name Charles Blondin? Probably not, because he became famous back in 1859, long before any of us were around. But he became famous for walking across a tightrope. But not just any tightrope, one that was suspended 160 feet above the Niagara Falls. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Massive waterfall, rushing water, extreme height, you're going to walk across it on tightrope. Like, this dude must have been out of his mind. But he went back and forth, day after day. He crossed over in a sack. He went across on stilts. He even rode a bike across. Massive crowds gathered following him and watching what was going on, intrigued about what kind of trick he'd do next. Well, one time he walked across backwards and came back pushing a wheelbarrow. Crowds going crazy. And he gets back and he says, Who thinks that I can push a man across this tightrope sitting in the wheelbarrow? And was like, Yeah, you can do it. And then he goes, All right, who wants to volunteer? Silence. 
There's no way. I thought, sure, he can do it, but not enough to be the one to get in the wheelbarrow. Friends, faith is being willing to get in the wheelbarrow. Embracing Jesus means more than mentally agreeing to things about who he is. James tells us that even the demons believe and they shudder. It's not just knowing stuff in your head. It's trusting Jesus enough, surrendering to him. John says in verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Have you believed in Jesus? Not just in a get-out-of-hell-free card kind of prayer, but have you really embraced Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? Are you willing to get in the wheelbarrow and let Jesus walk across the tightrope of life? Maybe you've never done that. You know you haven't embraced Christ. You know you're not one of his followers. Friends, don't put it off. Come to Jesus today. We're not promised tomorrow. It's not, well, let me wait till after college and I'll have my fun and then I'll get serious about God. No, today is the day of salvation. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I beseech you, be reconciled to God. It may be that you came today convinced that you're right with God, but now you realize you aren't. Maybe you followed him earlier in life, but you've strayed. Perhaps it's been years since you've been in church. Remember, John says that the one who does not obey the Son shall not see life. True faith in Jesus leads to obedience, to following him. If this is you and the Holy Spirit has convicted you and gotten a hold of your heart, then praise the Lord. Surrender to Jesus. Embrace his life, death, and resurrection. Friends, we must know ourselves. We must embrace Jesus. And now finally, we must be about Jesus. Now maybe you're wondering, John, what's the difference in embracing Jesus and being about Jesus? I'm glad you asked. You see, being about Jesus is the follow-up. It's the continuation of embracing him. If you truly embrace Jesus as Savior and you surrender to his lordship, he will transform everything, everything about you. You will be all about Jesus. doesn't mean that you'll be perfect. None of us are. But slowly as God works in your life, you become more and more like Christ. Look with me at verse 30. It's what I read to the kids earlier. John says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Commentator Leon Morris describes John's words as some of the most, some of the greatest words to fall from the lips of mortal man. What he means is that John beautifully summarizes what it means to be all about Jesus. Friends, we must remember that life is not all about us. It's all about Jesus. We want to point people not to ourselves, but to him. This comes as we know ourselves better and we embrace Jesus. He must increase, 
but we must decrease. Think about it like the sun and the moon. Kids, didn't you like science? Have you ever studied the sun and the moon? Which of the two produces light? You can call it out. Which one produces light? The sun, right? Does the moon produce light in and of itself? No, what does it do? It reflects the light of the sun. So it should be with us. We should reflect the light of God, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus commanded us in Matthew 5, 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In your job, do you exalt Christ and focus on Him? Or do you seek your own glory, your own reputation, trying to make yourself look better and climb the ladder? Parents, do you remember that your number one objective is promoting Jesus as you seek to raise your children? Or do you fall in the trap of making it all about you? How good do I look to my peers? Or just kind of trying to get your children to conform to your desires? Or maybe even living vicariously through them? Youth and young people, when you're at school or you're playing sports, do you make Jesus look better? Or is it about you, how good you can be? How much success do you gain? Are your Sundays all about Jesus? Is church attendance one of the commands of God a priority for you? Do you spend the day worshiping and resting in Jesus? Do you come to church to worship God or to be entertained? You find yourself asking, what did I get out of that? Or you say, what did God get out of it? Was he praised? We can all fall into this. I was convicted this week at times I can make preaching about me, caring more about what y'all think than what God thinks. I had to repent. Perhaps you need to repent as well. As we close, is your life like that of John the Baptist? If we're honest, it probably isn't. And this, at least in certain parts, we really can't struggle to have the humility that he did. But the solution isn't just to try harder. The solution is to focus on Jesus. Pastor James Montgomery Boyce tells the story of another minister who went to an amusement park And there was an attraction where you had to try to climb through this tunnel with a tube that was revolving. He got a few feet forward and fell and slid back to the bottom. And being stubborn as a lot of ministers can be, he's like, I'll start it over. I want to do it again. And the guy said, before you do that, I need to to let you know there's a secret to getting through this tube successfully. He said, do you see the mirror, mirror at the end of the tunnel? I said, yeah, who do you see in that mirror? I see you, the operator. That's right. As you walk through, keep your eyes on the mirror looking at me, and that will help you know where your feet are and how fast to walk to keep up. My pastor went through without falling easily. The secret to walking through the barrel was to keep one's eyes on the one who runs it. Friends, the same is true spiritually. The key is fixing your eyes on Jesus. Rest in Him. Friends, we all need 
Jesus. Individually, we need more of Jesus. You never reach a point in life where you've graduated from needing Jesus. We need him as a church. It's tempting to think that what we need is the next senior pastor to take us to the next level, to be some dynamic leader. No, what we need is Jesus. We'll never outgrow our need for Jesus. So remember that as you go about your life seeking to live for God's glory. Let us pray.